0: I was going to say, so what does, like, what does that mean? Like, what does church diversity and inclusion mean? You know, cause we do, we have the black church, we have the white church. Claps talked about the Chinese church and the Indian church. Does it mean that your congregation needs to be diverse or do you just have to create a space for diversity? Welcome back to another episode of Pew Babies, your apostolic millennial podcast. I'm Ron. And I'm Clap.
1: And I'm Mike, also known as the Apostle to the Food.
0: Amen. And isn't God good? So good, so good to give us so many blessings. So, how are you guys doing tonight? I'm good.
1: I'm existing. I'm existing. Mm, Jesus, that's it.
0: That's <laughs> <laughs> annoying. Not the My God. We're not thriving. We're
2: not blessed.
1: <laughs> I'm I mean, i always blessed. I'm always blessed. But, you know, it's a three-day weekend, so I'm glad about that.
2: Right. That's what I'm praising God for. I'm, Amen. I'm looking forward to the weekend and spending it with the fam.
0: So before we get started, something, I don't know what we call it, but I'm just going to call it like famous ad-libs or gospel ad-libs or something. So the first one is easy. So I just want to see like if y'all can guess what the song is. I'm going to give you an ad-lib. Tell me who the song or the artist is some don't understand our purpose, some don't understand our praise. What song is that? <laughs> come on.
2: Oh, oh, it's Kirk, Kirk, the reason why I sing? Yes. Okay, i getting <laughs> why How did we that You so-
0: oh, oh,
2: oh, had to
1: understand. I, it's been a long time since I've heard this song.
0: <laughs> I, I feel like our guest knew because our fe- guest was kind of like looking at me like, I'm I, <laughs> ready to come on All right. Dang, I thought that was the easy one. You can put it in the chat. Help me out. So the next one, I don't want to give the beginning part, so it's, it's gonna be
2: it's gonna sound random. Did you hear me what I said? Oh, I know what that is. Uh, Vicky Wines. Is... Mm-hmm. Shake mm sir.
0: <laughs> Did you hear me I what I QG? said?
1: Oh, as long as I got yes. King Jesus,
0: yeah. Oh. You hear what I <laughs> she said? She like... said, "I don't know why I crack up every
2: time I hear that part." I do too. She's <laughs> so country and ghetto. That was a ghetto. That music video,
0: y'all. Why were they dress like that? Why did we go back in time? In
2: anyway.
0: Oh,
1: the age of gospel music videos.
0: <laughs> I miss those though. All right, this one you guys should get. Anybody remember when they were like this? You think God sees you like this I tribute, like it.
1: playing the organ, sinking.
2: <laughs> singing, in the choir. singing, singing in the choir, singing in the choir, thinking, thinking. That like, song is a
0: gem. Of I love just great ad libs. My favorite part is what he said, butts, butts, oh, butts. <laughs> <laughs> Why did he go so hard for us back right then? Oh, we missed okay. that. <laughs> um, But yeah. yeah tribute. Uh, we do, we do. We thank God for him. Um, But that was the end of that segment. I still have yet to name that Saints. So I apologize. But yes. So Mike, do you have anything for us this week? Yes,
1: I do. Um, So we're going to go back up. 95 North, we're going to New York, New York, to the Greater Refuge Temple Church, which is the mother church of the Church of our Lord Jesus Christ, under the leadership of a uh, Pastor Charles E. Wright Sr., Um, They are located on 2081 Adam Clayton Powell Jr. Boulevard, New York, New York. Um, Right now, they are still virtual on Sundays. But if you're in the New York area, feel free to stop by. They do have office hours from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. And you can reach them at that website, greaterrefugetemple.org, or via Facebook, Greater Refuge Temple Church. If you have a millennial friendly church or if you have a business, apostolic business, please feel free to write us at pewbabies at gmail.com.
0: Amen. Amen. I remember my time at Greater Refuge Church in New York when I lived there for a little bit. And I remember they had church outside and the Japanese choir saying, You know those videos. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It was really nice. Beautiful church. Yeah, it is.
2: Uh Clap, do you have any announcements for us this week? Yeah, we're going to keep it short and brief. So as you know, um, Bill Cosby's conviction was overturned and he was released from prison this week. So his co-star, Felicia Rashad, responded with a tweet that lacked sensitivity. The 73-year-old actress wrote, finally, a terrible wrong is being rightened and miscarriage of justice is corrected. The post was accompanied by a photo of Cosby holding up his fist. So almost immediately after posting, Rashad turned off the mentions of the tweet, preventing anyone from from replying to the tweet. And then several hours later, she posted another tweet writing, I fully support survivors of sexual assault coming forward. My post was in no way intended intended to be insensitive to their truth personally. I know from friends and family that such abuse has lifelong residual effects. My heart felt wishes for those who are healing. So Howard University students and alumni came together to get her uh, position overturned as Dean of the College of Fine Arts in May of this year and um she addressed the well they actually um addressed her posting um stating that survivors of sexual assault will always be our priority while dean rashad has has acknowledged in her follow-up tweet that victims must be heard and believed her initial tweet lacked sensitivity towards survivors of sexual assault any opinion
1: oh claire oh claire (sighs) Sometimes you should just study to be quiet Um, because I don't think, you know, I I think what she was trying to do, she probably was trying to show support for her former co-star, but I, I do think that, it probably did show a little bit of insensitivity to um people that have been through sexual abuse. and so she that was probably a moment where she probably should not have said anything at all, especially on social media, people watching that stuff closely. And people were definitely watching for to see what she was gonna say. Also too, um just with the responses to you know him getting out of jail, I saw so many people uh, celebrating and excited about Peel Cosby getting out of jail. Um, let's remember that you know this man literally drug women, and um, you know sexually abused them. And I don't think we can dis- dim- diminish that. Them calling for her to resign for her position, do I think it's a little bit far? I do, um, but I do think in this instance she probably should have thought before she tweeted. So
0: yeah, no, I agree. Also, Bill Cosby that took me an hour. I cannot. But um, I think. I'll I'll start with Bill Cosby being let out of jail because that surprised me. And then, so I had to read the article fully because I think what a lot of people did, especially on social media immediately, is that they saw Bill Cosby got free and that the charges were dropped and they were like, oh, he didn't do it. And they took to social media and that's just completely false and incorrect. What happened is, is that he had a deal with the prosecutor initially in his case And the prosecutor agreed to not press criminal charges against him for this victim um, if he decided to testify as a witness in her civil trial, which he did. And the new prosecutor used his civil trial evidence of him testifying to what he did (laughs) against him in the criminal trial, which wasn't supposed to happen. So he got out basically on a technicality. And a lot of people end up getting out on a technicality. That does not mean he didn't do it. In actuality, we have evidence of him saying that he did it. So he, like, we shouldn't reinstate. I've been seeing people saying, like, he should get his accolades back. He should get his honorary degrees. No, Bill no, Cosby is still, he's still a predator. Let's let's acknowledge that. Because that's something the Black community has a problem with doing, is acknowledging that there are predators, especially against sexual assault victims. Um, so he's still a predator. He just got out on a technicality. And you know what? Good for him. He's in his old age, whatever. Um, moving on to Felicia Rashad. Um, it was disappointing to see her response. I kind of wish celebrities now with the age of social media still had PR people. It's like they kind of do things on their own. And I don't understand why they do that. Like pay somebody to help you write what you need to write and respond in a way that would be beneficial to your image, um, because that is disappointing that um, they want to take her out from her position at Howard. But I mean, honestly, it's a, this is a serious issue the Me Too movement is a serious topic, you know, and I don't want to see her go. I think she has an amazing legacy. I think the Cosby show created an amazing legacy, and I didn't want that to end either with Bill Cosby. I mean, I still watch his shows, and I still support his uh, creativity, I should say, but I don't know. I don't think she should have uh, said what she said, obviously.
2: Mm, pudding pop. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I never really watched the Cosby show, but <laughs> I know I watched Martin instead. Sorry.
1: You are too young so, to be watching Martin. <laughs>
2: that's <what it> <laughs> <laughs> well, my parents work late, so they weren't there. But anyway, oh, that sounds bad. I love y'all. Anyway, um, uh, I don't know. I have no thoughts. I have no words. I don't know. I don't know what to say, to be honest. I have mixed feelings. That's all I have to say about that. That's an acceptable response too. Because maybe Cosby knows how it feels to be ah, never mind. This is offline. Uh, no, I would <laughs> <how laughs> feel to be the other brother. <laughs> like, oh, I got off. <laughs> like, but anyway,
0: i It felt like a me. win, right, in a way, I guess.
2: It's 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 an I have mixed feelings, but just everybody watch out with Bill. Don't be, don't party with him because <laughs> he, we don't know he said he a predator he admitted to it so i wouldn't yeah i don't know i have mixed feelings that's like i don't know is r kelly too far i mean bill was
1: probably at the club the night they released him probably at the club party <laughs> celebrating slipping pills and people drinks
0: all i know nah. is if i see him walking down the streets of philadelphia i'm through just go home just retire just stay in your house just end things quietly like now, if he
2: started after this trying to fight for his accolades back and start trying to you know how people do that would be interesting
0: lock be him like, up in a nursing
1: home put him in shady times lock him up in a nursing home lock him up in a nursing home where is the lady from that movie I care a lot where is she at
2: Why are you wishing that on people? You know, let's move on. Okay, you know what? It's getting a little grim. (laughs) All right, so American sprinter Shikari Richardson, I apologize if I mispronounce her name, apologizes for positive marijuana test. Saddening news this morning. She admitted, I apologize, Richardson, Richardson said on NBC's Today Show. And she says, as much as I am disappointed, I know... That when I step on the track, I represent not only myself, I represent a community that has shown great support, great love. I apologize for the fact that I didn't know how to control my emotions or deal with my emotions. She's referring to losing her mother while she was training in Oregon where marijuana is legal. She heard from a reporter that her mother had passed, not from a family or any close friends of that news. So the American United States Anti-Doping Agency on Friday announced that Richardson has accepted a one-month suspension, which means she's going to miss that first month where she's supposed to run her 100-meter race. So she's going to miss that opportunity. In accepting the penalty, Richardson's results from the U.S. Olympic trials have been um, that she's been disqualified, and she forfeits any medals, points, and prizes, USADA said in a statement. Richardson had also tested positive before at Olympic trials last month, where she established herself as the gold medal contender by winning the 100 meters in 10.86 seconds. Any thoughts? You
0: know, the scene from America's Next Top Model came and it was like,
2: we were, rooting we were all rooting for you. We were <laughs> all rooting for
0: you. <laughs> like that immediately came to my head. Like yeah. it's, it's unfortunate. I feel so bad for her, but like... I don't know. Like she, to me, she knew the rules. I can't give sympathy to that. Like, you know, it's sad that your mom passed away. It sounds like to me, you just said that she failed the test twice. So this ain't the first time that she used uh, marijuana. And that means it's not necessarily connected to her mother. I saw that Nike was still going to sponsor her. So, I mean, she didn't, oh, she getting money. she's not going to be an Olympian, but you know, we're we're still like supporting her, but I just wish she would have paid more attention to her decisions.
2: Yeah. She could try again next year.
0: Um, I mean,
1: I'm, I'm still rooting for, her. um, I think, you know, again, she's young. What is she like? 21, 22. We've all made dumb decisions at that age. I was hearing the story about what happened, you know, with her mom and, and finding out, through a reporter that her mother died and things like that, and that's what she did to cope with it. Um, it really made my heart break um, a whole lot. And it's sad that she won't be able to she'll have to be suspended for a month. But you know what? She'll This girl's going to have other opportunities. She's very talented. The one thing that I have really um, I really have not liked is the way like just the, not just the media and stuff have kind of criticized her and have really demonized her for her look and for, you know, just, you know, her hair and nails and things like that. And it's really, especially just looking at comments on social media, especially from the church community. Oh, you know, all of these respectability politics, and this is what she should have did. And this is what, you know, and I'm like, you know, yeah, but you know, we don't know what it's like to learn of us losing a parent through, you know, news reporters and things like that. And so we had no grace on her. So it was just a dire reminder that there's not a lot of respect and there's still a lot of hate for black women, uh, especially black women that are succeeding. So, um, we're still rooting for you. Um, you're going to get through this. Shout out to Nike for still letting her be a part of their company. Um, they said today that we appreciate Shakira's honesty and accountability, and we will continue to support her through this time. Um, and Nike always coming through. They came through um, with the Black Lives Matter that time. And um, remember people were burning their Nike stuff. So mm-hmm. Nike,
2: we love to see. Oh. <laughs> I have my suspicions about Nike, but go ahead, cause we they get it. They get all our money, but go ahead. They know. They know. This is the thing is they know what
0: the black community's view is oh, going to be on this stuff. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, I'm gonna say this. I definitely support Shakari. Like we're still rooting for you, sis. I will say this but though. Um, yeah, I don't support weed and smoking a weed. And <laughs> the Saints been trying to, trickle that in, and think it's okay to do that. I don't know. People have their own opinions. I personally disagree with it. It's just because it's legal in your state. Don't make it the Bible way. But, you know, that's something to talk about on another day.
2: All right. Sorry. All right. So that was all the stories I had for today. I mean, there was one more where a pastor, Kevin, he, he got arrested, y'all, because the board members at Mount Zion uh, in uh, St. Louis, Missouri, they voted him out without any knowledge. So then they called the cops on him while he was preaching. So (laughs) he's (laughs) preaching, handcuffed, going down the aisle of the church, still preaching. So pray for them and their organization because he sued them, the nine board members for doing that and not following the church bylaws. So church, follow your bylaws. Don't just up and vote passes out their position without orderly way, please.
1: I kind of wish we
2: adopted that culture over here in the Apostolic Church. Yeah, bro. Baptist, the structure, the administration off the chain, but <laughs> I just I wish somebody would have recorded him still preaching while he was being carried away in handcuffs. It may still be up there. Pastor the Livingston, Mount Zion Baptist Church. Look it up. All right, and that concludes. Your church announcements. Amen, amen.
0: Okay, so we have a guest this week, which I am so excited to have. So if you could just introduce Ooh. yourself. Um, your church name behind you. Welcome to Pew Babies.
3: <laughs> I feel welcome and I feel at home. Um, my name is Kenny Smith. As you can see behind me, I'm representing the Heritage New Life Restoration Fire, Baptized, Holdings, Church of God of the Americas, and I'm going to throw Incorporated up there because it just belongs.
1: <laughs> Amen. Oh, that is so funny.
3: No, I don't know this church, but I just like the name, <laughs> but it's good to be here.
0: Amen. So, Kenny, before we jump into our discussion for this week, like, why don't you tell us your Pew Baby story? Like, How would you summarize what growing up in church was like for you?
3: Oh, wow. So, and Mike has heard this so many times, but I, um, oh, excuse me, Bishop, Apostle to the food. <laughs> excuse me, I got to call you, by, you have to give honor where honor is due.
2: Bishop.
3: Um, yeah. That's... I grew up in the church, of course, uh, from birth. Uh, my grandfather is a preacher. Um, we grew up in a small church in Chesapeake called St. Stephen's. And um, through my matriculation, I've touched quite a few different churches. Um, And then in college, um, in Greensboro, North Carolina, I became involved with the United Pentecostal Church. And I was in the United Pentecostal Church from North Carolina to, um, where am I? California, (laughs) I had to think about it. Uh, From North Carolina to California um, um, for a number of years. So that's my history. Apostolic all day, you know.
0: (laughs) Amen. It's good to see another pew baby on the show. Great to have you. Thank you. So our discussion this week is going to be kind of deep. So prepare yourself, saints. But we want to talk kind of about um, the racial divide that happens within the apostolic church. And we're going to kind of take a different perspective. But before we get started, I just feel like. As a culture that we live in, we watch TV shows and we see movies and they kind of like commercialize what we call the black church. So I want to ask you guys, like, how do you define black church? And we'll start with Kenny because he's our guest, but I kind of want Clap and um, Mike to also chime in.
3: Um, a cultural immersion into the heart of God. That's what I would uh, describe the black church in, in mm-hmm. its essence, in its, in its purest form now you know sometimes you have variations on that and um sometimes you have some issues but what i have learned about just studying different church cultures is that the black church is very true to its own cultural heritage of its constituents and those are the black members um an expression of worship praise that is emulated all over the world um That's what I would describe the Black church as, and a staple in our community.
2: I think we used to be the staple of the community. Things have changed. Sad. But how so? Because that's a whole other question. Now you're going to (laughs) to say that (laughs) after this. But um, uh, my depiction of the Black church, uh, it will be something of what Kenny had said. Um, We are really emotional culturally and as a people, and um, I think we bring out the true heart of God through our emotional um, connection with him, Um, like you said, like even through worship, singing, praise, some people do praise dance, the scandalous um, in some churches, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, it's a form of expression um, through the arts, through, we're just multifaceted when we come, when it comes to our worship and uh, reverence to God, I think as a culture and as the black church.
1: Yeah. When I think about the black church, I think about fried chicken. Um,
2: wow. You're <laughs> <apostle> to the <laughs> <father>.
1: Exactly. <laughs> you should say. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, But no, I, when I think about the black church, like I think about a entity that has been a pillar of the community and in the black community. You know, for years, you know, dating back to um, when people were free from slavery. Um, I remember watching the documentary, the PBS documentary on the Black church back in February, and I was just so blown away um, how, you know, the Black church started as a praise house and kind of grew from there. Um, But I think about like a structure that's been in the community that has not only been a, a house of worship and for spiritual spirituality, but I think about a place that has also been a center for you know, to to help people. If you think about like the 50s and 60s, a lot of these bigger churches in these progressive cities um, were helping people that were moving from the South from, you know, more oppressive areas to find factory jobs, teaching them how to read and write, teaching them how to, you know, do all these things. And even today, we see where a lot of like your Black churches with those resources are still helping and giving back to the community and things like that. And I think the Black church has always been a... Um, a source of, of resources and just being a strong, um, just being that strong pillar in the community. Um, and, and, and as everyone has stated, uh, Kenny and KJ both stated so well, you know, just talking about like how they have just embraced, um, you know, praising God and, and things of that nature and have started their own culture. And it has been imitated down through the years. It has been tried to be duplicated and stuff, but there's nothing like, you know, the Black church on its own and in its original form. So,
0: yeah, no, I think you guys hit all the points. I don't have anything to add. And Kenny, you kind of gave us your history already, but this might be redundant, but still respond. Um, have you guys always attended a Black church?
3: I have not um, my formative years all the way through, I was in the black church. And then, um, like I said, in college, I ended up at a United Pentecostal church, um, different experience than maybe some had United Pentecostal church at that particular church, because, um, even though the leadership was Caucasian at that church, um, the majority of the membership was actually Brown and black, actually Mm. majority black. And so, um, it wasn't a, a situation where we were a minority in that church. But in the few, you know, as years went on, I was involved in a church where us folk were a um, minority. So I've had uh, all of that kind of gambit.
0: And that's interesting. So, like, I don't know, would you define that as a black church then? Like does black church necessarily mean that is predominantly Black church, meaning most of the members are predominantly Black and Brown people, or I guess we're defining Black church as the cultural feel in the right. atmosphere here. So I just want to make that distinction, but that is an interesting um, experience that you had. Clap and Mike, have you always attended a Black church? Yep yes all my life same (laughs) and it was funny because when i was writing these questions i was like huh this is that's interesting to me too but we'll talk about that later and i'll tell you why just a little
2: snippet because i tried uh a caucasian i don't know we're
0: gonna get to this we're gonna get to this
2: yeah yeah hold your testimony we're gonna
0: get to it Thank you. (laughs) so okay my next question is like the fact that we even use the term black church to suggest that churches are not monochromatic. Um, so when did you realize there was a difference between a Black church versus a white church or a different other church? Like, when did you guys experience the fact that, hmm, church isn't just church, the one I grew up in, it's more diverse than that?
3: Um, I can speak to that. So uh, the moment I walked into a non-Black church, <laughs> <laughs> that was the first time. Um, and it's not so much... Um, there are certain cultural norms that we have in the Black church. It even expands beyond the apostolic faith. If you go to a funeral or some type of service, even at a missionary Baptist church, you kind of have an idea, you know, of how things run because we just, um, we as Black people have certain cultural norms. Now, as far as our faith and our, you know, these other denominations and our particular apostolic faith, um, you know, there may be, differences of course in the liturgy and the name usage and titles and all that but the 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 way the church is structured or the services are structured are pretty much the same i went into a caucasian well you know into a caucasian um led church and culture shock because it is a completely different kind of format um there are nuances. There are certain small things that are kind of similar. I mean, as far as being apostolic faith, they speak in tongues. They they believe in, you know, the the, the tenets of our faith. Mm-hmm. But as far as how the service is structured, it's completely different. Um, I didn't grow up where it was a lot of heavy vocal expression um, outside of the platform during the service. We worship, we praise, but I mean, there could come a word from the, the congregation, and I wouldn't raise like that. Word oh. come from the pulpit, you know, or the fact that multiple people were laying hands—that was a big new thing to me mm. because you know, in the black church, you know, if it ain't bishop, ain't pastor, ain't the elder, then you better not to touch nobody, you know. But that wasn't the case there. There were brothers and and sisters that were. Laying hands and praying with people, and and I don't mean just rubbing backs. I mean laying hands on foreheads and getting oil. There was oil available across the platform. That was new to me. I had never seen anything like that before. And you know, my experience in the church, or the Black church, I was like, oh, this is wrong. Y'all, y'all out of order. You know, that's your first kind of, you know, right,
4: right. your
3: kind of go to. Like, this is out of order. But you know, that was the biggest. Um, Changed to me because I had never seen um, anything like that before.
1: So the church I grew up in, we fellowship with this Caucasian um, apostolic church in um, Suffolk, Virginia. And I remember they came to our church one Friday night. We had Friday. We used to have Friday night service. They came to our church and I remember like they spoke in tongues the whole time which was a culture shock because like church I grew up in, like they didn't, you spoke in tongues, we well, didn't do a whole lot of speaking in tongues because if you spoke in tongues too long, they were wanted to know like well, what's going on. Like, you know, they just didn't do, you know, that was it, they okay. didn't, you didn't do a lot of that, but for them to mm-hmm. spoken, that was a definitely a culture shock. <laughs> so then we, we yeah. went to them, um, we took a service to them one Saturday and I remember our choir had to sing and the organist was trying to like, I guess they had one of those keyboard. They, I don't know how the keyboard was set, but the keyboard, we just could not get the keyboard right to our standard, whatever, because theirs was still in praise and worship mode. We were trying to get in choir mode. And it was just... Mm. <laughs> 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 so I think he had to switch to the piano. So it was just... So you just kind of knew that there were some things that you know were a little bit different. Like I remember... Even when we went to that church, whatever, they had like a game room and stuff that the teens could go into during service. Now, you know, in a black church, <laughs> game room might have had children's <laughs> church, but you won't have no game room. And so you better get your butt up there in that sanctuary, listen to the word. And so like right. back then, you know, I kind of thought that, oh no, they shouldn't have that. They need to keep those children. But now looking back at it now where I am now in my mindset in 2021, I'm like, you know, if it's a way where we're re- able to reach you know, young people and stuff in that way, then why not? You know, which is a different subject for a different day. But
2: yeah. Yeah, I didn't get exposed to other like cultures or for church when I got on um, and not until I got into college. Um went to Asian church, very quiet. They're apostolic, but they very orderly. Like <laughs> there's no you know how black church we just let the lord have his way. No. We getting we starting on time, getting out on time. So that was new for me <laughs> for my whole life. Um, another aspect will be as far as uh, um, Hispanic church. I know we had a Hispanic church visit us at one point. Um, they're very interesting. They're very uh, vocal. I can barely hear the service throughout the whole service. Like they're very vocal. Very like the mics were turned up to mm. the max. Like <laughs> you can't hear nothing after you leave their service. In drums shot. Um, but they have their special way, like they would shout, but then like when it gets overwhelming, they would like drop down to their knees and like pray in their seat. So that was interesting to watch. Um, and then as far as the white church, they're very, um, I visited one of those. It's not so bad. One of those, (laughs) but, um, it was very, um, I wouldn't say, okay, a charismatic white church versus like the, you know, it's it's like the Asians, the calm, you have your calm ones and you have your charismatic ones when they are like trying to be culturally mm-hmm. influenced by our church. That was kind of weird, but <laughs> I didn't know. I'm like, this cultural appropriation, where are we going here? But <laughs> yeah, it was very interesting. Yeah. I think I got exposed
0: to, I should say a white church early on, but it was never in the apostolic setting. So, um, when we were kids, my mom one of her coworkers went to this like Jesus of Nazarene church. I don't know what they believed or what their denomination was, but we went there for vacation Bible school over the summer. And so, and it was fun. Like they taught us these songs. We'd be like, Jesus, Lamb of God. I just remember singing a lot of worshipy songs that they taught us. And so, yeah, it was a lot of like cool, fun things to do, but it wasn't necessarily apostolic church. And I think with that, I didn't really associate the white church with also being apostolic. I was just like, "It's, it's a different entity and it's not us. And they don't believe the way we believe, but it's a cool like place to be at (laughs) where, you know, they're still like Christian. Um, And then later on, that's when I started learning about like white apostolic churches. Um, Like I said before, on an earlier episode, my um, and my parents, they ended up going to um, a white church that's apostolic. And that was a different experience for me, (laughs) because like you said, Clap, to me, I felt there were parts of it that felt at home. Um, Some of the song choices were very Black artists. Um, It was like they were almost comparable to a Black church, but there was something that was missing to me. No, because I went to a a
2: Black church that they were apostolic but they did it the white way so that was weird too i'm like what are we doing here that made me upset i don't know if you guys ever experienced that or and also have you guys ever been to an african church experience tell me <laughs> <laughs> i've been too scared to go <laughs> um,
3: no they i mean it the so ironically the church that i went to in um in north carolina they had within that particular church, they had a Spanish ministry and they had an African French ministry Beautiful. as well. And so they had separate services like there were the morning service. Everyone was together. Um, I believe the um, the French minister, French African ministry was that morning at nine and then 11, we were together. And then at two o'clock was the Spanish service. And I actually have led prison worship. I speak French. Oh,
4: oui, oui. Um,
3: I can sing in Spanish. I can lead worship in Spanish. I cannot speak Spanish. I can understand it now for the most part. But um, the French ministry um, that I you know, attended actually very much gave me a, a, a glimpse into why the Black church is the way that the Black church is. Um, the outward expression of worship was very similar of course it was more a little more rhythmic not rhythmic in the way that we shout you know we got we we pick some up and put some down you know we gotta get our step together Hallelujah. um theirs is a little bit more in the seed and they have kind of like it almost you would think it was choreographed but these are just the that's the way that they shout and praise God um a lot of the songs uh they they sang songs that we would sing but they also sang, some traditional um, um, African songs, French African songs. And um, I felt God, I loved it. Um, and, Sp- and the Spanish ministry as well at the church, the Spanish ministry, like you said, they they go hard. Um, one of the things that I know that is comparable, that was interesting, the, the African uh, ministry was very like timely. So they would worship, they would get out their seats, give, have church, and they preach and everything's in their time slot. And, you know, mm-hmm. they're ready to move on. The reason why the Spanish ministry was at two was because that might go to two to three, two to four, two to five, two to six. It just depended on how many people were going to fall out, how many people going to run. And then when the preacher felt like it was time to preach. And that was a shock. I thought it was I was like, I thought we were the only ones that, so. you know, kind of held <all>. But apparently we are not. They were I mean, they were having church. There was a translator there. Uh, There was a lady that was on the floor translating for the pastor. And I didn't catch much of the translation because she kept filling the spirit Mm -mm. and she would go between the translation and the tongues. And, you know, worshiping. I was like, praise God, but come (laughs) on back because I missed that that. You know, but it was it's different. But um. I I enjoyed, I enjoyed the, the French ministry because um, it definitely gave me, like Mike was saying earlier, it gave me a glimpse into like what worship would have been like if we were never brought over, you know, mm-hmm. a Christian worship, if we had never been brought over into America and America and Westernized in our culture, it gave, and it gave a glimpse on how much of um, our African um, culture that we actually have held on to mm-hmm. in the black church. Cause it it literally is not that different. Like I said, our, our dance a little different or, you know, the way we say things or do things might be just slightly different, but you can tell the origin was them and you can feel it. So I liked it.
2: Yeah. And I think slavery and our whole experience here in America has definitely shaped how we I even adopted mm-hmm. the African culture, but kind of spent it to our struggle with what we were going through during that time and made it our own. So definitely mm-hmm. agree. And I also went to an Indian. I'll be finding all the apostolic <laughs> churches now.
4: That we go,
2: okay, we're going to get to that at the end. Like. All right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. We all, we all black and white right now. So I'm just, <laughs> so, oh, um, no, no, you good. You good. Um, so I, I did want to ask um, Kenny... Like, what made you decide to leave the black church? Was there like a specific reason? You left us? us? uh,
3: (laughs) Hallelujah. Um, (laughs) There was, I want to be honest, there was, um, there exists, and this is not every church, so I don't want anyone to hear me and think that I'm blanketing the black church. It wasn't that type of case. And I always have love and still do have love for the black church. We'll attend a black church. We'll praise God for the black church. We'll join a black church. Um, But at that particular time, there was so much um, politics going on. And, you know, sometimes we get so um, caught up in doing church that we forget to be the church. And it was a lot of that, you know, it was a Mm -hmm. lot of my soul is hungry. My soul is thirsty. Like, you know, all y'all drinking water. (laughs) That was was perfect. But, uh, you know, I needed something from the Lord and I was going through so much and a lot. Be honest with you all. A lot of my trials at that point in my life weren't stemming. I was in college. It wasn't coming from college. It wasn't coming from family. A lot of my trials were coming from church and it was just dealing with a lot of the the politics the groups and the the cliques and i just i was tired and i wanted something new and so i was already kind of transitioning or i had transitioned from the church i had been t- i had been attending and i was like i need a break <laughs> i didn't want to go from the pot into the kettle and i was like i just need i need something new um, and so I'll, and I'll never forget the, the Sunday I rode by there a few times and I was like, eh, just, you know, mm. and I will never forget the first Sunday I went over there. And it was actually ironic because there were people that I had known from the previous church and from just, you know, from churches that were over there that I, did, I had no clue were there. And I went in there and I'm going to tell you guys the first thing that touched me was when I entered into the foyer of the church, they have this gal they call it a gallery. There's a hallway. It's a very okay, let me not take it away from it. It's a very nice hallway, very Mm -hmm. wide hallway with pews and you know a a western, I mean a a Middle Eastern theme, very beautiful, but it was a hallway, but it's called a gallery. And they had the doors closed, but someone had opened the door to that gallery. So I was headed towards the sanctuary and they opened the door and I heard this sound of prayer. And I was like, whoa. And it wasn't just like two or three people praying. It sounded like hundreds of people just praying. And I mean, going for broke.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And I was like, dude, am I supposed to? Because nobody was nobody told me to go in there. You know, the person, the greeter at the front was telling me to go in the sanctuary. And I'm like, but what's that over there? And they're like, oh, there it's, it's the prayer room. They're praying for before service. I was like, I want to go over there. And I went over there and people were walking, people were kneeling, people were sitting on the pews against the wall. You know, people were holding hands, praying, people were just facing the wall, crying out. And I mean, they were going for broke. And the prayer that I heard there just enveloped me so much. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I love this. I was like, because, you know, I hadn't seen something like that in so long. A lot of times in my church experience, we just come on in, you know, we prayed. don't get me wrong. We didn't, we prayed, mm-hmm. but it wasn't that collective, just like crying out to God before service, unless there was a special prayer meeting or something called before church, we weren't crying out like that. They were crying out like this was deliverance service. And I'm like, Y'all do this every every before every service, and they're like, "Yeah, this is what we do. We come and we fall on our knees." And you felt the transition into the sanctuary when the saints entered in; they were prayed up and ready for service. I was like, "I like this," and so I it was a breath of fresh air because I was used to meetings before church and sitting in somebody's office, and you know, all of this. It was just a lot of politicking, and and like I said, I don't want to make a blanket statement that is not in every. Black church, but it was prevalent at the time. And I just, I needed a break from it, to be honest with you.
0: Yeah. I was going to mention that. I was thinking, because we, we've we had an episode called, You Need a Vacation. And I was wondering like, um, if your decision to change churches kind of stemmed from just exhaustion, church exhaustion, or if it was more or less like, I just need something new, a new culture, a new atmosphere. What's your
3: thoughts on that? It was, it was both, honestly. Um, Mm. It was, I needed a change. I needed a new atmosphere. And I just, it was like, have you ever sat in church and you weren't getting what you need spiritually? Mm. And you're going through the motions and you know, and a lot of times you hold positions and you're you're on the choir, you know, usher. I'm just naming stuff. I don't usher. I do not usher.
0: Okay, don't um, bash on the ushers. No,
3: no, no. The ushers okay. are an important right. ministry, and I love an usher. Amen. Well, thank God for an usher. <laughs> you don't want me to be an usher because I'm not a nice usher, because my feet be hurting, my back be hurting. I'm gonna have to sit down somewhere. No. I'm dead. But uh, <laughs> no, but, um, you know, you're in these different ministries and we go to church and we go through the most, especially because we've always gone to church. It's such a part of who we are. You know, what is a Sunday morning? and What is a weeknight without going to church? It's just a part of you. And but you're not really encountering God like, you know, you used to or you're not, you know, receiving the word or receiving the prayer or receiving the deliverance that you need. and you know, I had, I had, I talked to different people at that time and, oh, you got to just seek them for yourself. And I was like, yes, but the fact that we have this thing called corporate worship, Mm -hmm. the fact that we have this assembly, this gathering should be the perfect situation for me to receive what I need from the Lord. I shouldn't have to get everything on my own. You know, he said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. So you know, why am I doing everything on my own when God said that we have power in our numbers and our togetherness? I should be able to rely on somebody else to help me get my deliverance. But it seemed like everybody was concerned with a position. And I want this. And I'm mad that she got who put her over the choir and who, you know, how he how he become a deacon. And, and I'm yeah. like, oh, my goodness. You know, and I was frustrated. And then there were other, you know, underlying things that were going on crazy stuff. And I was just like, I can't do this. You know, I'm in college, I'm away from home and I need something or I'm going to lose who I am in God and who I am as a person. And so it was, it was a mixture of all of that. It was a vacation. It was a, 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 a getaway, It was a castaway. It was all that good stuff. It was everything. And then some. because it was time for me to do something different.
0: And, you know, it's interesting because now that you bring this up and going back to what we talked about earlier, like it just crossed my mind. Like when you were talking about the differences between black church and white church, you talked about stuff being out of order. And I think it's interesting to me that the black church is very much. I don't want to say a law and order church, but it is. It's very much like there's a time and a place for everything. Mm-hmm. And like, and I think you've raised the point here, which is a great, an excellent point, is like maybe we focus too much on the law and order part, the structure of the church. Who, like you said, who has the position? Um are, are we doing prayer after service? Oh, no, that's not the right order. We got to switch things up. And that creates drama that doesn't necessarily belong there. Instead of just having a kind of a free-for-all worship and just letting God have its way. Maybe as the Black church, we need to loosen up when it comes to this law and order and instruction. Now, I, I definitely don't think People should be laying hands I don't, like we and we can talk about that a different day. But I don't think about laying hands and openly. I don't think a word should be coming from the pews when you got people in the pulpit. But I think that maybe we should kind of loosen up a little bit more. I think
1: I agree with that. I think that in a black, especially black apostolic church, we do become very caught up um, in like the law order and structure of church, which I am a hundred thousand percent on structure. Um, I'm attracted to structure when I'm, when I'm looking for a church. However, I think, you know, some of those things, as he was mentioning earlier, you know, you have like these people in these positions that become gatekeepers and, you know, it becomes, you know, political and things of that nature. Um, I think that has what, what has been the, uh, what has been kind of the kryptonite for the black church uh, for a long time are those things. And because it's, I think it's a cultural thing and hear me, um, as the man said in the video this week, hear me in the spirit, <laughs> <laughs> hear me in the spirit. I think with black culture, sometimes church is, is for a lot of people in the black apostolic church is their plateau. That's where they have, and me and, and Kenny have this discussion all the time. People, mm-hmm. That's the only place that people are somebody there. They're not anybody at their jobs, you know, in the community, they might not have as much, you know, res- respect or much pull, but in the church, you know, I might be, and this is no disrespect to what anybody' job is, because a job is a job. If it, if it pays you, it pays you, but mm-hmm. I might be, flipping burgers at McDonald's Monday through Friday. When I come to church, I'm the head deacon, you know, or, you know, I might be, you know, this, that, and the third outside of the community and stuff. When I come to church, you know, I'm the pastor's armor bearer. So a lot of times I'm going to feel that pull that when I feel threatened in my position, whatever, I'm gonna make, you know, make it known that hey, like I don't want you in this position, which will cause a lot of these political issues. Whereas and I think that when white culture, because they do they are a little bit more, let's just call it what it is, privilege. They don't have those kinds of problems because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, they got other things to look forward to outside of church that they're involved in. Most of the time, their investments and real estate and all of their political pool and things like that. So I think that has something to do with a lot of it, which is where I think the lines have gotten crossed. And I think as time goes on, I think the black church is starting to realize like where that shift might have have happened and where where they, you know, started to go wrong. And, those, and, I, and I can see where, you know, some people are starting to put things in place, especially post pandemic church, where mm-hmm. as in it's not as bad as it was. But for a long time, that's what it was. I saw that stuff growing up. You know, I saw it in, in churches that I've been into, you have people, you know, that are gatekeepers or people that, you know, and a lot of times that, that hinders the move of God in your service. It does not make the atmosphere conducive, you know, for worship, because it's hard to get everybody in the spirit of prayer when we're not unified. We can't pray together if we're not unified. And I think the difference was, you know, Kenny said when he first went to the UPC church in Greensboro. And I actually had an opportunity to uh, tour the church with him one time. Very beautiful sanctuary. They're together in prayer, and which is why they can have 15, 20 people come through with the Holy Ghost in a service, and we can barely get one person to come through in our service because they've already made an atmosphere conducive for that, which is one thing Mm -hmm. I've had to give to them before their face or behind their back. (laughs) That was a UPC pastor that would see my dad at work. He was like, Brother Dawes? we had 15 people come through with the Holy Ghost. And we were like, 15 people? Like, you know, because to us in the Black church, that was far-fetched. But once I went to a UPC church and kind of saw how together they were and they had an atmosphere that was conducive, um, for that, I could see exactly how the spirit could fall and 15 people could come through with the Holy Ghost in one service. So
0: that's a good point. I I, I do think that there is a type of, a a different type of freedom and worship there like even when I went to my parents church the music part was missing something because it was just to me it's just not what I'm used to but I felt like and and I feel this in any church but I felt like I could just be free like people were just walking around running doing whatever jumping like you know and you can do that in black churches but I feel like like I said, that law and order piece is still there. Actually, we had um, family and friends day, and this uh, guest white family they were there sitting next to me, and uh, the mom she asked to come out with her kid, and I was like, sure, fine. I thought she was going to go to the bathroom. What ended up happening was she allowed her son to go up to the drums, and asked if he could play on the drums, and. I was very uncomfortable with that. (laughs) I'm gonna be honest. I was so uncomfortable with this woman who's a guest at the church feeling like she could just say, I want my son to play on the drum, like let's have a time to play on the drum. And like, mind you, the, the song was winding down. We were getting ready to move on with the service and we had to sit here and like watch this little boy like try to play on beat. And like, it was just really cringeworthy to me and the usher and me wanted to be like, no, sit down. Um, but I realized that that ability to, I should say she felt welcomed after her son had that moment she was able to sit down and they were like, oh my gosh, this is so great. Blah, blah. Like I said, I don't think people should be able to just take the mic all willy-nilly and stuff like that, but just allowing people to feel like they can freely express themselves and feel welcome instead of feeling like they have to only operate at a certain time is interesting concept to me. Sorry. All right, I'm gonna move on from that. My bad.
1: <laughs> no, no, you
0: tell the truth. <laughs> so I wanted to wrap up with some final questions. Um and you know, like diversity inclusion is a buzzword that we're hearing right now in the workspace. And so I have a few questions about that. And my first question is: do you guys think it's necessary for a church to be diverse and inclusive?
3: The short answer is yes, the long answer is yes, the middle answer is yes. <laughs> it is heaven, heaven ain't just gonna be one, you know, race of people. Heaven's not gonna be. Heaven's going to be all.
0: I was going to say, so what what does that mean? Like, what does church diversity and inclusion mean? You know, because we do, we have the Black church, we have the white church. Claps talked about the Chinese church and the Indian church. Does it mean that your congregation needs to be diverse or do you just have to create a space for diversity?
3: I think that diversity has to be intentional. Um, A lot of times when churches say that they are diverse... And I mean that on both sides of the spectrum, because I've been on both sides of the spectrum. Um, It just means kind of like, well, they can come over here. But a lot of times if you don't go to them to invite them or to, you know, let them know that you can come over here, they're not going to go. As a black man, um, that was a chance encounter that I had with um, the church that I was attending in North Carolina. But more times than not, if a person or if I had walked into that church, for instance, and I was the only, you know, black person that was there, I would immediately feel uncomfortable unless someone, you know, made me feel welcome. You know, it was just a, a chance encounter that I went there and there was a whole bunch of black people there. And I was like, oh, OK, hey, family. But um, I think that is something that has to be intentional. And then I think it also has to not just be a a prize or a trophy. Um, I will say on the other end of the spectrum, in many Caucasian churches, um, they boast diversity. But that diversity only extends to the worshipers. But there's no diversity in leadership. Mm. There's no diversity in these different departments. Um, If you were to attend a business meeting or a leaders meeting, you wouldn't see people that look like you running things and that's not true diversity especially when that reflects you know upon the people that go there if you have a church that's 50% you know black and 50% white that should be reflected in the leadership if you truly want diversity you can't have a church that's 50% white 50% black and the entire board of directors you know everyone that's a trustee everyone that's an elder a minister The pastor is white and vice versa. You know, you can't have that. Um, As a member, as as a member of your church, I would like to see myself reflected on your platform. I would like to see myself reflected in the business meeting, even if it's something that is not for me to attend because I'm not a leader. I want to make sure that someone that represents me is present and can speak to the issues that specifically deal with me. So I do think diversity is important, but I also don't believe that it's some type of, you know, medallion that we should wear around our necks saying, oh, we're a diverse church if we're not truly about diversity. Um, and then I think biblically churches were um, geographical. So I think that your church should be a reflection of where it is located. You know, I mm-hmm. think that you'll have churches that, people travel a little ways to get to because, you know, people have preferences, but if you have a black church that is planted right square in the middle of the white community, then there should be some type of, you know, white membership in that church. And if there isn't, that means that, that, that leadership and, you know, the members of that church have not reached out to that community. And I find issue with that. And, um, I'm not saying that's how it is a lot of times. Most churches, black churches, we'd be right in our own spaces, but at the same time, if that were the case, but I do know of some other churches that are in certain neighborhoods and they have nothing to do. And that's not biblical. That's not biblical diversity. And that's not biblical inclusion.
0: What should we do to be more diverse and inclusive in our church?
1: I have to agree with, um, with Kenny, uh, I think that we as within leadership, you know, and in the black church, you know, I think we have to do um we, but I think both sides have to do a little bit better about reaching out to make sure that we are making ourselves welcome and open to other, you know, uh communities and other cultures of people being comfortable in our spaces to worship, meaning like other nationalities of people of color, like, you know, are, you know, white people comfortable coming in black spaces? Are black people comfortable going in white spaces to worship? And um, I think, you know, for so long, like, you know, we said most of the time for black people, especially black apostolic churches, I've seen a few that's in, you know, white areas, but the majority of black apostolic churches are in the hood. Let's just be be honest. We're in yeah. the hood, you know, we're on the corner. We, you know, if you're down South, you in the middle of nowhere in the woods somewhere. And so most of the time, you know, white people are not going to fraternize in those tight spaces, whatever. So we have to work a little bit harder to really kind of Uh, promote ourselves and make ourselves marketable to their community. Um, But what I have noticed, which I think has been interesting down through the years, and I'm going to go on just a kind of a mega church stance, whatever. Black people have always been comfortable or I don't want to say comfortable, but I've I've noticed that when we look at TV, you turn on Joyce Meyer, you turn on Joel Osteen, you turn on Rod Parshley, and some of these other white um, mega passes and stuff. There is a plethora of black people sitting in those congregations, you know, um, you know, and 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 going on. Whereas in you, even if you look at TD Jakes' broadcast, you don't see that rate the ratio of white people sitting in the congregation there versus the black people sitting in white spaces. The ratio is not even comparable. And right. so I've often wondered, like, why is that? You know, why like why why is that? And, and I have my own idea about why that is, and it's not one that's probably the most favorable. But I have my own idea about why, you know, those instances are. And I think, you know, for a long time, black people have been a little bit more comfortable sitting up under white leadership and in white spaces and but not the vice versa. So,
0: yeah, well, is that I I think definitely it's part of the elephant that's in the room. Right. It's it's racist culture that I mean, that's part of the reason to me why we have black church versus white church distinction. Like we all started with the Zuza when you think about it, but the distinction came from the fact that black people and white people couldn't worship together. Right, and you know we had to create our own space. Um, and I think that's really like the bottom line with that, and it's kind of reversing that type of culture, and, and, and reversing that type of culture, and not only like I agree completely with Kenny. Going out and trying to embrace that community, but also changing our dialogue when we enter the space. Even being at work, I want my job when we talk about issues like George Floyd or something like that to actually have meaningful conversations. I I don't want things to happen and they say, oh, we care about diversity and we're not having these conversations. And we talk about this a lot on the show anyway, but, you know, we have to change how we converse with each other. As well. It has, and it starts with leadership. It starts with co- what comes over the pulpit. Because, like I said before, I don't know how comfortable a white member would feel out of Black church sometimes when I hear what we talk about, particularly about like race. And then I feel the same way. Like, like I said in another episode, my dad, he didn't like the fact that his pastor said, if you know, if you don't vote for Trump, you are not apostolic. You don't believe the way we yeah. believe. And to put a stance like that on your saints yeah. and on your membership, yeah. um, and not even pay attention to the dynamics that you're that you're pulling or talking about is very um intense. Um, Clap, I, I wanted you to jump in here and I and I also want to throw a question at you too. Earlier you we were talking about different cultures. Um, do you think that we should all experience, like, a different culture of a church? Like, should saints, like, try to attend an Asian church that's apostolic or a Black
2: church or Korean church? Find the way we are saying now uh, we should definitely expand our horizons because I think it'll piggyback on what Kenny and Mike were saying. I mean, how will we know, and what you said, how would we know how to communicate if we never experienced other, anything other than what we know or have known? our whole lives. And, um, I think that's really important. That's like, I know people, some people never get the chance to travel outside the country and see different cultures. Um, some people don't have that privilege, but you know, I try to stress it. Like if you can get out the country, I don't care if it's to like Jamaica or something, just see yeah. how someone else lives or how someone else culture, um, the, the, the variety in cultures that, you know, other countries may have, you know, even go out of state, hey, if you drop me in Tennessee, in backwater t- Tennessee, <laughs> the culture is different from the metropolitan area of the upper East Coast. Like, I want to experience a right. different language, a different dialect, a different way of communication. They may not like me, but <laughs> we love y'all. <laughs> but, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, it gives you that experience. So that way, when you encounter, when you encounter certain people of different racial, ethnic backgrounds, you would know how to even speak to them or relate to them in some type of way. So it basically um, culturalizes the Black church. I don't think we're cultured. That's why we can't move in unity. That's a really good point.
3: Okay, facts, facts, and more facts. What I will say is that it is, I found that it's a lot easier, and we talked earlier about um, whether some of the practices and charismatic Caucasian churches is appropriation, what I will say, it's a lot easier for some of them to move amongst our circles than for us to enter into um, their circles. And what I've observed, I I have one anecdote real quick. Uh, I was at a church in Greensboro at the Caucasian church, well, a Caucasian-led church, part of the Caucasian organization, let's put it like that, cause it was still black, <laughs> but, uh, we were in church once a day and it's very like, I don't know if any of you are familiar with this, but it's very common for people not to necessarily go by a title. Um, it's very difficult, honestly, unless you're very engrafted in the church in that particular church to know who actually is an ordained, um, minister versus who's just a brother that ministers or whatever it, it, it's kind of interesting. That was new to me because, you know, growing up, you knew who was the elder, you knew who was, you know, but there, there are people that preach, but then you'll find out I'm just a brother. And then even the pastor, they went by brother. I never called him pastor. I never called him the term in that particular organization is reverend. Even though I was raised, don't reverence any man, but nevertheless, Uh, uh, the term in that organization (laughs) is reverend for a licensed minister Never called him. I don't even know what it feels like to call him reverend. He went by brother. And that's been the case across the board. And so um, there was these three black guys that came into service. They were having a good time. Um, thankfully, we were doing our good black gospel that morning. So they had church uh, and we sang good. I will say that I was on a music ministry to make sure we sung good. And uh, uh, the pastor was up. He was this is an Italian man. I mean, he is a convention conference. I don't want to say convention. He is a conference style preacher. Um, And I told him this before. I'll tell him this to this day. I believe people would pay money to hear him. That's how, you know, profound he is on just a Sunday morning to his own congregation. And so they were being blessed by the word. But, you know, and we stood up, we stand up, we clap, you know, do all that stuff. But they over there, they had brought out the tambourine and they don't do that over there. <laughs> so they beat the tambourine while he's preaching, you know, shaking the tambourine. Hallelujah. And then one of them said, come on, Bishop. And when I tell you the whole church was looking like, who is Bishop? I don't what? Is It's a bishop here. You know, everybody, it was like a culture shock. And everybody was like, who? I mean, I know, I know what that means. Because I'll say, come on, Bishop, now I, I get it. But you know, you got—I mean, these were even black people that had never been outside of this particular organization. They were yeah. like, "Who is? What are they? Who are they talking to?" You know, stepping out in the aisle. I'm like, "Come on, clap!" You know, "Come on, that's it!" You know, you know, it wasn't—it wasn't what was norm there. And so, you know, you enter into that space, and it's just like everybody's looking at you. They didn't, luckily, they didn't feel uncomfortable, which I love that for them. They were just authentically themselves. I love that. But um it was a more a little bit more difficult, and it was like it to a lot of people. I went out to eat with some of the saints after church, it was a distraction to them, and I was like, mm-hmm. That distracts you. I was like, But we got people running the aisles and about to jump in the baptistry, that don't distract you, and so there's these different paradigms that exist. But what I found is like a lot of the ministry. I mean, even talking to Mike before, there's a minister that was in an organization that I knew very well, you know, and he was from that organization, very prominent in that organization. And it was, it's kind of easier for that to happen, I've noticed. And then it, it's very rare for them to, you know, you might invite them to your church and you might invite them to preach. Um, but it's very rare that you'll get into their circles, into their conferences. It's it's not a common thing. Um they have, you know, it's it's just a paradigm that exists. And I think that um, a lot of times when we enter into that space as Black people, we immediately feel uncomfortable. It reminds us, I think, of working for a predominantly white company where you have to continuously code switch and you have to, you know, be this person that you're not normally. And so mm-hmm. it makes us uncomfortable. And then we're sitting up in there and we're like, mm-hmm. You know, I don't know about this, um, and we see people having all this liberty, but we're like, I don't know. And it seems like when they, I mean, they come over here where we are. If they visit, they ready to buck and run the aisles, and you know, or they want to get up there. Ah! You know, I'm and you're wondering, do you do that at your church? You know, so that that exists, and I think um, a lot of that has to do, like what you said earlier. With, you know, the differences that existed way back when, where these two churches, these two different churches emerged. I mean, there was a time we were all one and um, racism and bigotry separated us and we formed these two um, paradigms. And then you have this church that exists now that is devoid of authentic black culture. Right, and what I mean by that is that a lot of the black adherents in that church, um, especially the ones that are grown up from a child, I've noticed they do—they're not going to behave and act the same way as a black uh, child that was raised in a black church. Mm -hmm. You know, even if they're surrounded by black family, and I don't know if you all have any family members in in that organization. My experience coming out of the black church, I can be in both situations and I can adapt, but it's like it's like this particular organization is devoid of authentic black culture. So it's like, um, sometimes it feels like you said something was missing. It feels kind of like a put on It's like, Oh, we're forcing it. Whereas, you know, you go to a black church and it's just like, we, this is what we do. Um, and so it's, it's, it's interesting. It's, 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 I mean, I don't want to go too deep into it, but it's interesting.
0: And, and this is my wrap up question for tonight. Uh, cause We talked a lot and there's so many, we're going to have to do a part two because there's so much to say about this topic. But um, I was talking to um, a relative before I got on and, you know, I I asked him, like, is it problematic for me to have a preference for the Black church? Like when I enter a space, and I shouldn't even pose it that way, but when I enter a space and I'm looking for a church, um, you know, you're looking not just at the preaching and the singing. Well, you are, you're looking at all those things and all of that encompasses the church's culture, the church's environment, the church's atmosphere. And so when I'm not in a space that's like that, I feel uncomfortable. And is that preference an issue? Because what, what part of it is, is part of it is the spirit of God, of course. And then part of it is that comfortability with the church culture, that black church culture and does me enjoying Black church culture, is that an issue? Is that keeping me from creating diversity inclusion in at a personal level, I should say. Do you guys, sorry, if that question did not make sense, I hope it made sense. Thanks for me. Clap I, is confused. <laughs>
2: abbreviate, repeat and abbreviate. Is it question, okay
0: to have a preference for, me, for Black, No, (laughs) (laughs) for Black black church church. culture, or for White church culture, or for Indian church culture, or Asian church culture, is it is it okay for you? Is that not problematic? Is that not contributing to making sure that the church has
2: diversity and inclusion? I think it's okay um, to a certain extent. Uh, You don't want to become completely ignorant to what other churches do as far as how they operate in christ i think um the preference can get a little tricky when you start trying to make a doctrine out of it like you know and enforce your preference on other churches like oh i don't fellowship with that church because they don't do this service this way or they have a meditation solo just before the preachment and you know i don't like that and some people like that some people you know place that there because god may have told them to or this little stuff like that so i think having a preference It could be dangerous in that sense, because I've seen people try to fellowship with other churches and then walk out, stand up, take the whole congregation and walk out in the middle of a sermon just because they didn't like the way the program was. or They didn't feel like it was their preference. And that's not unity that's ignorance, like, you got to be open, especially the apostolic as well, you know, in a holiness church, you know, everyone does things differently, and um, it's crazy, all the stories I've heard of people, you know, who have preferences, for me personally, I try not, I do have a preference, unfortunately, but, you know, I don't down any other, uh, you know, any varying, you know, preferences when it comes to church. And I think that's the difference. You know, I'm not prejudiced with it. You know, I'm really open to what any congregation does or, you know, as long as they have an order and how they do it, like, I don't mind the laying of hands and stuff. As long as you have been released by the pastor and went through your classes and released to do that, it's fine. You know, like, as long as there's some order in there, I'm good. Apostle, like, he ready to talk.
1: (laughs) Um, no, um, I, I mean I definitely have it have a preference. Um, while I do have enjoyed um the Caucasian Apostolic services that I've been in, um, I I personally still have a a preference for the Black Apostolic Church. I just do. Um, I would love to experience the Asian Apostolic Church, Indian Apostolic, French. I would love to experience those one days and one day. And if the Lord delays His coming, I will um and clap you said something so key earlier um should have written a note because ever since i turned 30 i forget everything but yeah okay so yeah yeah so preferences you know it, it can it, it can divide because uh we know that the church is not a building it's, it's you know the body of baptized believers um however In the apostolic church we are one of the few entities that apostolic i felt that (laughs) we're one of the few entities i heard someone say this that you know divides by by that multiplies by division meaning Mm. that even amongst cultures we're divided like we have your caucasian apostolic, you know you have you have you have that but even within our black own even in black apostolic culture we have so many different cultures within that. This is why we have all of these organizations, you know, because even in just a Black apostolic, you know, church, what is that? That's 10 million different, you know, things to look at because everyone has different cultures, which has created these divides whatever and so and which is i'm not trying to get on that subject and get on that soapbox tonight but it's you know it's it's definitely one of those things that has definitely um there's a lot that has divided us whatever and i think you know once we can fix within like the black apostolic church like our differences because trust and believe they're so small you know a lot of these differences are minute things when we kind of you know sit down and take a look at it. it's things that's like you know, okay, we really was divided over this for 50, 60 years. Um, and then I think once we do that, we can kind of look at embracing other cultures and stuff like that. But as long as we're divided amongst ourselves, we are going to, um, we, it's going to be hard for us to kind of em- embrace other, um, the other cultures of, 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 of the apostolic faith. And that's not to down the black, cause I, I love the black church. I'm going to always be yeah. part of the black church, whatever. Um, But I think it's hard. It's going to be a little bit harder for us to try to delve into, you know, those other cultures until we, you know, learn to delve into our own culture first and embrace one another first. um, And and kind of get rid of some of these minute differences that we've been fighting for for the last 100 100 years. years. Mm.
2: Anniversary.
1: (laughs)
0: Anniversary. (laughs) Oh, no. She said the anniversary (laughs) is the recognition of the division. My gosh. (laughs) Oh, so I guess we'll wrap up right there. Do you guys have any final thoughts that you guys want to put forth about this topic before we move on?
2: Black church, black church. This is a message from clap. Get cultured. That's all, just get cultured. That's good. Please, step one.
0: (laughs) And that's how you also combat preference, right? The more you expose yourself to other cultures, the less likely you're like, this is better. It's more mm. like, this is different. Mm. And I like this aspect of them as well. And I like this aspect of that person as well, you know? So I, I think that, you know,
2: when we talk about preferences for preaching, for culture, church cultures, we just need to... Oh, Lord, don't something. get me started on preaching in the hoop and the hollering. Whew. Where did that come from? <laughs> well, I think that...
1: um I I think to, in addition to black church, get cultured, also, you know, to our white churches get in touch with what black people have going on as well. And we'll probably dive into this part too, but you know, while we are getting cultured ourselves as in the black church, I think in the white apostolic church, stop fronting to try to, uh, make a culture or make a shoe fit or make a narrative fit so you can have great music Ooh, and have ah, dancing my God and the, all of the you know nuances is is that's the where y'all using tonight of the black church without getting in touch with the real issues going on in the black community that does affect the black church as well. And so I think there's some learning we got to do on both sides. Yeah. We got to get culture in the black, on the black side, but also on the white side, you guys have to, you know, be sensitive to what we have going on and telling us that we're not saved or we're not apostolic. If we don't vote for Trump or all of this other stuff, You know, that's that's not it. And I think you have to go back to the bottom line, go back to the drawing board and find something that's going to work. But that's not going to work, because what you are creating is creating a culture of nationalism, which is going to create, you know, this great divide amongst the church anyway. And we'll never be together. So we probably going to pick up in that part, too. But. (laughs) (laughs) Hallelujah.
0: All right. So on that note, music ministry.
1: Praise the Lord, everyone. Did not your hearts burn tonight? Did not your hearts burn tonight? Amen. Amen. Um, so yeah, we've come down to the part of the podcast where we will be reviewing music that has blessed us this week. Um. We're going to start with, I'll start with our guest on here tonight. Ah, uh, i Kenny Smith, what have you been listening Hello to this Lord. week? Has really blessed your soul
3: this week. Oh wow! I actually had told you about this uh or earlier. Um, it's an oldie. Can we do oldies?
4: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Play it for us. Play it for us. We we want to hear it. Oh, I have to play it. How do I play it? You um, just hold it. We go old school. Just hold it up to the mic. Yeah, okay.
0: just, just give us the artist and the name. Yeah, give us the artist it and is, the
1: name and it is, feed it in. It is Tremaine
3: Hawkins. How many of y'all know who that is? Okay. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Act like
0: we not connect. Okay. I don't
3: know. No, I know who I listen. I know y'all know who it is. How many of y'all listeners know who it is? <laughs> That's a name from history. Uh Tremaine Hawkins, and it was justified by faith. Oldie but goodie.
2: <laughs> All right, so I had a song that I disliked this week. I heard on the radio. Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> ah. So it's by this new group called Trilogy. Not sure if y'all heard of them, but I wasn't digging this rendition. I don't know. I'm just going to play it. right
0: hold on did they say can't afford to give up now yeah
2: it's, it's a christian song
0: because <laughs> i was like oh no she's got to listen to 70s soul or something
2: <laughs> like, Oh, no, so the saints out here the young saints i guess they're from the dmv area so they the song played on uh 104 praise up here 104.1 so I just was like, what is this? What are we turning into? But, you know, that was interesting. Now we know Kirk has done his September and all of that. So, you know, I didn't like that either. But, uh, you know, we got to be Was
1: there anything you did like this week?
2: You know what? <laughs> that kind of messed up my spirit for the week. <laughs> she was like, I'm done with music this <laughs> week. So I went to the podcast. You know Stop it! Now she gonna be singing it, you know, Rod. Oh my gosh! And <laughs> then luckily after that, they played this one. Glad they played that after that song on the radio so people won't go back to the wings <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. stay delivered people
0: amen <laughs> hey, hey. so i was kind of all over the place oh cloudboy you done I'm done. Sure. I'm done. Uh, okay um in my name by the Thompson community Ooh, Singers. oh that's my Ooh. that's a
1: that's a yes that's a good one
0: You're Gonna Live by J.J. Harrison. I really avoided the song because it was so annoying to me when I first heard it. But it has grown on me a lot, featuring David Wilford, who is a Delaware native. Shout out to him, who is also on Sunday Best. And then finally, um, Travis Green came out with a new song featuring John P. Key and Kurt Franklin called Hold On Me. Um, I'm still up in the air about it, but um,
2: (laughs) the music video was funny, kind of. I don't think I like Travis Green with that type of beat behind his voice. His voice is not made for that beat.
0: Yeah, it's very, honestly, I'm going to be honest, Travis Green is not the strongest vocalist to yeah. me. Um, His strong suit was making songs that weren't necessarily mainstream and singing them. And now that he is kind of mainstream, uh, he's not somebody I would want to feature on anything, but people do it. No offense to him, <laughs> but yeah.
1: Yeah, offense to him, because I'm still mad about him singing for Trump in
0: 2017. Mike,
2: you, know? you got to let, go. let it go. I'm glad he did. Lucy. <laughs> <it
1: go. laughs> they forgave
3: Chris and Michelle in the, in the world, so in the church, you got to forgive.
1: Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. Chris still, you know, still a little mad with her, but I'm letting up. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm going to take y'all back to the 80s, you know, give y'all some church music. We feel like we need to... Uh, Y'all. So the first song is I May Be Young by Reverend Janice
0: Barnes. Why? Why do you keep doing this? <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead.
1: My next song is um, For the Rest of My Life um, by Reverend Clay Evans and the Fellowship Choir. So that was Reverend Clay Evans um, and the Fellowship Choir for the rest of my life. Our hymn of the week uh, this week is The Love of God is Greater Far, um, written by Arthur Frederick Lehman in 1917. First verse says, the love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hail. The wandering child is reconciled. By God's beloved Son, the ache, <laughs> the Ronda made me laugh. The aching soul, again made whole in the priceless parted wood. O oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong! It shall forevermore endure. The saints and angels' song, when ancient times shall pass away and human thrones and kingdoms fall, when those who here refuse to pray on rocks and hills and mountains call. God's love for so sure shall still endure all measureless and strong. Grace will resound the whole earth round the saints and angels song. And that was the love of God. I'm going to turn this service back over into our executive producer, Sister Ron.
0: Amen. The love of God. That's great. So do we have any prayer requests, closing remarks, praise reports?
1: No, i was just saying just pray for Felicia Rashad.
0: The okay.
1: Hey. <laughs> okay. Party for Claire Huxtable. Sister Huxtable. Sister Huxtable. <laughs> you got the mojo, sister. Well, she can be a missionary. <laughs> missionary Huxtable,
2: yeah. Yes, All right. So who
0: wants to close us out on tonight?
2: Look, K. Look like he got a prayer on his lips. Y'all gonna have the gas close, okay? <laughs> why, why? He, he ain't a guest no more. He he a fellow pew baby. He, ain't no he guest. said he felt comfortable. All right. I'm
3: at home at the Heritage New Life Restoration Fire Baptized Holiness Church of God of the Americas Incorporated. Let us look to God, Lord. We thank you. We bless you. We magnify your name, God. Lord, I thank you for this time, oh God, this time of fellowship, this time of conversation and communion. Lord, I thank you, oh God, for bringing this together, oh God, for orchestrating this. For we know this is your will and it is good in your sight. Lord, we ask you on this day that all of these topics that we discuss, all of these, these, these topics that we delved into, God, let it permeate in the heart of the listener as well as in our hearts. Let us not only be speakers of the word, but doers of the word. Let us be people of action, that we see a difference, a change in our world, in our churches, in our community, God. Lord, use us to enact this change, God. Let us be your hands, your feet. Let us be your mouthpiece on this earth and we thank you for it, God. I ask a special blessing upon the pew babies, God, for they're about a good work, God. I ask that you continue to enlarge their territory. I ask that you continue to expand their horizons and their reach, God. I know that you're able to do it, and I count it as done. These and all of the blessings I ask in the only name that matters, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: Amen.
3: Man, man.
0: Love somebody, y'all. Yeah.
1: We love you so so much.
0: My life was church and
4: all it. I'm a pew baby.